Hello and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. This week, I have got Catherine Woodward Thomas. Now, you might not have heard of her, but you will definitely have heard of her work. She was the psychotherapist who developed the process and coined the phrase conscious uncoupling, which a certain Gwyneth Paltrow made famous in 2014 when she divorced Chris Martin. And I was so excited to sit down with Catherine. I have read a lot of her work and I know it's come under criticism of being a bit sort of woo-woo and a bit LA and I think that's probably because of how it came into the consciousness so quickly through Gwyneth and her site Goop but actually the work itself and the process I think it's brilliant it makes a lot of sense and I think in a context of where 50% of marriages and relationships will break down I think it's really important that we learn how to move on graciously from relationships that don't work and that we learn how to do that in such a way that minimizes the impact on those around us especially our children so I spend quite a lot of time chatting with Catherine about how we can do that she herself got divorced when she had a child so she shares some first-hand experience of how the process and using it on herself actually has minimized any impact We have to remember that a home is not the physical home. The child's home is the family. It's the relationship. So if you have hostility that's festering between those parents, those children are not at peace in that home. There's a war happening in that home. So Catherine talks about the happy even after, which is how we can continue to be functioning as a relatively happy family, even when that family in its traditional construct of marriage or relationship has broken down. If we are not diligently doing our work to really come to a pace of peace with that ending, whether or not that person stays in our lives, but I think it's very important for us to know that we need to do the inner work. It's not time that's going to heal all of our wounds. So something that Catherine talks about that I found really interesting is that even if you break up with who you had children with, you are still a family if you share children. And how to manage that and how to treat each other graciously and respectfully in spite of what might have happened. When your eye is on the prize of having your family be well, then you just simply decide to care that that's the experience the other person's having. You don't have to agree. So the other thing that I really love is Catherine brings a lot of her personal experience to it, which is quite unique for a psychotherapist, actually, in my experience. So I really valued that. And also she was really realistic. She said, you know, I've written this process. I think she's taken like half a million people through it over the world. So it's pretty proven that it works. But she said no one does it perfectly. It's something to aim at. It's a framework that can help guide us through probably one of the most traumatic things that can happen for everyone involved so I really enjoyed the chat I'm really interested to hear what you guys are going to think about this one I wonder if it's going to be quite marmite actually that some of you are just going to absolutely love it and some of you are going to really struggle with it so let me know I'm really keen to hear what you think and whether you want me to do more of these sort of you know meteor psychotherapy based 
podcasts let me know so follow me motherkind underscore zoe and i'll pop the episode up and tell me in the comments below there what you think or pop a comment on the website motherkind.co and here it is i do hope you enjoy it so Catherine, welcome to the Motherkind podcast. I feel deeply honoured to be in your presence this afternoon. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you. So I first came across your work in 2014, as I think many people did, when a certain famous lady <laughs> uh, called Gwyneth Paltrow talked about that she was consciously uncoupling from yeah. Chris Martin. And I remember, you know, I was sort of deep into my therapy and recovery and meditation journey at that place at that time so it instantly interested me and I started to read about it and I just I loved it I wow. loved the approach and even at the time I was mm-hmm. a year married so I wasn't thinking about consciously uncoupling but it still fascinated me well but we had a chance to chat right before and so I know a little of your history and you had a, a horrific falling apart of your own family Mm. so you understand intuitively the kind of damage that can be done to people particularly children when parents kind of go off and they have their own falls and then it impacts their marriage and all sorts of things so yeah that was a surprise to me that Gwyneth was going to kick it into the lexicon I was actually down in Costa Rica at the time writing the book proposal because I'd been working with a few hundred people by that time and developed the process and then it was introduced to her by a colleague and off it went into the world so that's lovely for me to hear how it impacted you yeah amazing amazing well I want to get into there's a couple of things I really want to discuss with you there's so much but we only have just under an hour and I think one of them is how we can go through this process while protecting our children Definitely. And the other one is the impact that that can have on healing our own wounds, which, of course, is something that you talk yes, about. Both, yeah. But for people listening who might not have heard about this and are thinking, what the hell are they on about? Could you tell us what conscious uncoupling is and how you came to discover it and teach it? Yes, thank you. Well, conscious uncoupling is I think we all know that most breakups and divorce are hostile and antagonistic. And it's kind of built into the legal system in a way too, where you have to accuse someone of wrongdoing in order to even obtain a divorce, unless you separate for two years, which many people don't want to do. So, you know, we have this experience of breakups and divorce as being very damaging and certainly damaging to our children. And certainly that's so in the United States as well. And it was so in my own personal experience because my own parents got divorced when I was quite young. And it set me up with decades of very toxic patterns that I can really trace back to how poorly that divorce was navigated. So when I myself, after 10 years of marriage, got divorced, of course, my husband and I, we had a a small daughter and we had both been through that as children and we wanted to make sure that she was going to be safe and she was going to be well and she wasn't going to be damaged through the experience. And I think we all hear about this, you know, this idea that we should stay together for the sake of the children. And what I love about that is that we're putting our children first in that thought. And that's absolutely right to do that. But I also thought that it was a profound lack of creativity because there's been many studies that show that it's not actually divorce itself, it's tension 
that's festering and not getting resolved between parents. There was a book that came out a couple decades ago by Constance Ahrens called The Good Divorce, and she cited uh, many studies about that demonstrated that it wasn't actually divorce that was hurting our children, but it was the way that we were getting divorced. And that was validated by John Gottman, who did studies on children who lived with parents who had a lot of tension, a lot of arguing and fighting. And those children showed the exact same patterns in relationships a decade or two later as children from divorced families. So the parents had stayed together, but they had a lot of contention between them. And that, of course, led to truancy and promiscuity and, you know, all sorts of problems in school and later on with insecure attachment patterns. So I think it's been documented enough that it really has to do with how we part ways or how we are with each other. And what happens in divorced families is that the parents who are divorcing very often don't mean to have an amicable separation. They get kind of caught up in the whole system, not just the legal system, but also our own biology, because we are not really hardwired for separating. We're hardwired to stay together, which made sense a thousand years ago, because if you were going to wander away from your tribe a thousand years ago, it was probably most certain death. So what happens now is the moment we go to separate from someone who's been our relational home is that our biology goes a little haywire and we go into high levels of threat and stress and we go into fight, flight, or freeze. And so at a time where we are needing to now make very rational, thoughtful decisions where We're going to be dealing with money and living arrangements and custody arrangements. Our biology is screaming at us. Our brains are on fire. We have the same brain chemistry going through a breakup as we do when we have a loved one who's dying. So we're in massive amounts of heart pain. We're deeply traumatized because breakups are one of the most severe traumas we will ever go through. And that's the moment that we're needing to then make these big decisions So conscious uncoupling is an offering for the five-step process that I created to help us to navigate those choppy waters in a way where we're going to do the least amount of damage to ourselves, to each other, and to our children, and set everybody up to win in the aftermath of this transition, and even set people up to have what I call your happy even-after family, where you can actually create a post-divorce family that is cohesive and kind and where children can have a happy childhood. That is what's happening for our daughter now because my husband, who I affectionately call my husband now, he and I joined on that as an intention when we were going through that process that our daughter would have a happy childhood. And that has really been our North Star that guided us to be able to create the conscious uncoupling process. Gosh, there's so much in everything that you've said. I think it makes so much sense to me that at the point when we most need to be in tune and self-aware is the time that is probably the hardest time to do that, isn't it? And like you say, I think no parent decides to get divorced with a view of damaging their children, but it's often in that unconscious lack of self-awareness that a lot of those behaviors can come out can't they is that your experience emotions are so big they just take over 
And when you're in that fight or flight state, we tend to move into action before we think of long-term consequences. You know, how do we get ourselves back into the part of the brain that can think these things through? Because we have to remember that we and our children are going to be living with the consequences of every action and every choice for many years to come. And we will be prone to do things and lash out in ways that are uncharacteristic of us, that are kind of outside of who we've known ourselves to be, but we get a little taken over and really taken out. And we can do long-term damage, things that don't ever get undone if we're not very careful. So the first step of conscious uncoupling is find emotional freedom. How do we actually take command of our emotions in a way where we're still in the driver's seat? We still have a lot of feelings going on but we're not being taken out by them. And part of that is just managing to de-escalate those hot emotions. And I teach people how to do that. I'll tell everyone a trick if anyone's going through that horrible experience of that initial burn of being left by someone or taken out or betrayed. But if you can just manage to just even turn towards yourself before you take an action and take a deep breath and say, sweetie, what are you feeling right now? And just see if you can name some of the hot emotions and then mirror it back. I can see that you're feeling. What else are you feeling? Because that process of mirroring and naming our emotions de-escalates their intensity and helps to contain them so that we can get back into our right minds. I also help people in step one to do what I call sponsoring the positive impulse in the negative emotion. So for example, if you feel a lot of rage, it's probably because somebody violated you in some way. So the rage is saying, I don't deserve to be treated this way. I deserve so much more than this. And that's actually a good impulse. So what I teach people to do is to sponsor that impulse, like never again, or from this moment forward, You know, so you use whatever's happening as your bottom. And step one is about making a commitment to yourself to have a personal transformation as a result of this. So you're taking the negative emotions and you're fueling positive change. And what do we do if we're the one that has asked for the end of the relationship? And I heard you say a statistic, which I thought was fascinating, which was 68% of women are the ones who tend to initiate the end. Can you talk a bit to that? Because I listened to one of your talks at the weekend about this and how often we will have been processing that, often silently before we tell our partner. And how do we deal with someone else's rage anger, disappointment, depression, sadness. Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the misconceptions that people have, because Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin seem to have now become the models for how the best friends, right? I know. (laughs) (laughs) He's giving her away at the wedding or something like that. But the misconception is, is that only people who are going to go through this together can get a conscious uncoupling. But rarely do people uncouple in such a gracious way. And even Gwyneth herself has admitted that, you know, behind the scenes, it's not always been so easy. That's their public face on how they wish to present their family. So we don't really know what they have gone through. But usually there's one person who's leaving and another person who's being left. And yes, it's a really outrageously high statistic of women 
who are the ones who are leaving. I think it's kind of our time as women to blossom. It's an amazing time to be a woman. We are really coming into our power and we don't want to settle and we want to have rich, full, vibrant lives. I think in the past generations, women have not been privileged to be able to leave marriages that are mediocre or bad. Probably financially as well. Yes, very much so financially. So, So there is a difference because the person who is leaving has had an opportunity to form a whole new identity that's outside of that relationship. And they've been able to create a life that's outside of that relationship. So they've been processing the breakup for quite a long time. The person who's being left rarely has that opportunity, even if they've been warned for a long time, which often happens. They somehow think they're going to pull through this or it's not really going to get to that. So they've been in a bit of denial. And so they can be quite traumatized and devastated. And that is going to be a much harder road. And in many ways, conscious uncoupling is written for that person because that person is in a tremendous amount of pain. So it's written, conscious uncoupling is written for the person who's in a tremendous amount of heart pain is going through that anger and rumination and can't quite get over it or can't quite find their leverage, doesn't trust love moving forward, is really having a rough time of it, as well as it is also for people who are interested, someone who is leaving but who wants to do it well, who wants to make sure their family is set up that their children aren't going to be damaged. So it has kind of a dual function, but it is written with a lot of tenderness because there is, you know, obviously many people coming in are going to be highly traumatized. But you also asked, you asked a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. Also, how do we deal then with someone who is having a very hard time, is not going graciously, is attacking, is choosing to stay in that kind of unconscious place that is kind of the norm for what we see as breakups. And I think that there's an emphasis that I make throughout the book that if you're reading the book, you're probably the more conscious person of the two of you. So there's a lot of ways you now need to be the leader. And we never want to give our power away to anyone who has a lesser consciousness than us to determine how we're going to behave. So we always want to, you know, if we're the one who has the most amount of health in this moment to do the conscious uncoupling process. And whether or not the other person does it, you can have a big impact on this going well. Things like in step four, where I talk about setting an intention for your relationship moving forward. We're jumping ahead a little bit. but mm-hmm. Or in step five, where I talk about creating new agreements that are more aligned with the new form of the relationship. Or even how to align your community with the new form that the relationship is taking because even our communities will automatically take sides. It's just instinctual. If you tell your friends you're getting a divorce, suddenly they start telling you how much they never liked your husband anyway, right? (laughs) Or our moms might say that. Right. Well, it's kind of intuitive. Like we want to support our friend and we'd go to war automatically. It's kind of built into our culture and into our social norms. So to be able to even say to people, well, we're going to do this consciously. You know, this is always going to be my child's father, or this is always going to be my child's mother. So there's an adjustment and it's hard and we're both striving. But if you could hold us in peace together and not have to take sides, that would actually help us because I'm still struggling with my own anger 
but I don't want it to dissolve our family. I want our family to transition into this new form of family. So you have to train people around you. Which is hard to do if you're feeling like we were talking about earlier, all of that rage and it could be very easy, I imagine, to step into that. Well, yeah, he was always. What, exactly. Well, you're, you're <laughs> very easy. On. So out of the five <laughs> steps of conscious uncoupling, the first three are dealing with yourself. Okay, because there is all that going on. So, you know, and people go to court with that kind of anger. And because nature has so hardwired us to stay bonded, we really go from what I call soulmate to soul hate. Because hatred is not letting someone go. Hatred is a highly engaged state. Mm. Hatred is... Mm. Well, they're living um, in your head all the time. They're in your head. You're yelling at them. Maybe you haven't even seen their face in six months and you're still telling them off in your mind. So you're really in there. And I just think truthfully that that phenomenon is nature's trick to keep us bonded. That nature almost doesn't even have a preference whether it's a positive or negative bond as long as we stay connected. You know, because our brains are social creatures and relationships regulate us in so many ways. They regulate not just our physiology, but they regulate our emotions. So to lose a primary relationship is a devastating experience. So it's an odd survival technique that our bodies and brains will do, but it's really there to try and keep us safe on some level. But we all know that at this point, it keeps us very unsafe, actually because we're liable to do these very destructive things. Especially if there's children involved. Especially if there's children involved. And especially if there's children involved, do we need to strive towards understanding what's happening for ourselves, make it conscious so that we can really stay at choice about it. Because this is what I love so much about your work. And I think it sounds so obvious, but I think in our modern age, we sometimes don't think of it, is that even if we are getting divorced, the form of that marriage is changing there is still a relationship that has to happen, doesn't it? If we've got a child, we're always going to have to be in relation in some way. Well, that family is the container that is keeping your child safe. So that's why, I don't know if you have nesting here. Do you have nesting where, yeah, people live and have one home, the children stay in the home, and then they share weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't call it nesting, but oh. we, yeah, we definitely have that. Okay, so I like the idea, but we have to remember that a home is not the physical home. The child's home is the family. It's the relationship. So if you have hostility that's festering between those parents who are coming and going, those children are not at peace in that home. There's a war happening in that home. They're in a truce because the parents are not actively warring anymore. But that home is not a safe environment. So when the parents can do the grown-up work of being able to accept the disappointments that they've both endured, take responsibility for their part Mm. in what happened, use whatever breakdowns that have happened to fuel their own growth and development and to graduate from old toxic patterns that they were raised in and really wake up and course correct so that they have hope for happiness and love moving forward. They do exercises to clear the air between themselves and their former partner. Then the children are fine because there's no more tension and they know that they're loved by their parents enough that their parents will actually do this work for them to keep them safe. Mm. And it creates the container. So even though my husband and I now have been divorced for 
probably about six or seven years, my daughter still feels very held in our family. She doesn't feel lost. She's not outside of a family. She doesn't have to go from one family with dad to the next week she's in another family with her mother. We have not put her in that position to have to be the one who's doing all the adjusting. We have done the adjusting because we are the grown-ups. I love that. She hasn't had to do the adjusting. Right. Because you guys have done it. And I think that children don't know how to express mm. what's happening well, this them. is what So they're not going to tell us, this is messing me up. We adapt as children. They're going to look like yeah. they're adapting. Mm. But the problems that they're having are not going to be revealed until they're in their 20s and their 30s. And they will probably show up as either they'll get the help that they need to get back on track or they're going to show up as maladaptive patterns. I mean, I I know this from firsthand experience because having grown up in that environment of war between two of my parents and then so much so that my mother ran my father away and he gave me up for adoption when I was 10, which was basically parental alienation. I wasn't adopted to a new family. I had my mother, but to her husband. But he left the picture because they couldn't get on at all. Now, nobody knew that that was going to have consequences because I seemed fine, right? That's how children are. We seem fine. But really, from the time I started dating when I was in high school, very up and down, push-pull, dramatic, would you go for unavailable men? What yeah. was your pattern? Unavailable was it all the way. And in my 20s and in my 30s, I dated only married men and just all sorts of very dramatic, challenging, painful, destructive things that really came out of that. And it took a long time for me to, I mean, I never meant to become a therapist. I became a therapist because I worked on myself so deeply that I ended up you know, becoming a healer myself. And then, you know, in many ways, life is just about paying it forward now. Well, that's quite similar to my story. And is this your mission today? What's Well, my mission, yes. My mission is about helping us all to have happier, healthier relationships across the board. That is my personal mission to evolve love in our lives and in our world. When I look at our world around us, I see that that's probably the best contribution I can Mm. make. And so conscious uncoupling is my offering along those lines. I want to also tell you about step two, because I think this is very important in what people are struggling with. Because when we're traumatized by the end of a relationship, what happens is that in any trauma, we ruminate. And it's normal. It's organic. It's, you know, we think about what happened over and over. We have memories that just seem to become companions. We're sorting things out. We're reviewing every little detail and we're remembering, oh, three years ago when that happened, I should have caught that and I didn't catch it. And we're, we're trying to weave the story together. But usually, and that's normal because trauma is basically the experience of something has happened and we can't quite wrap ourselves around it. So we're working it out. We're trying to massage it so we can come to terms with it and finally come to a place of acceptance. The problem is, is that we are trying to work it out from a place of profound victimization. And usually what we're looking at is how the other person has wronged us and failed us and betrayed us and deceived us. And our attention is largely on the other person. And 
you know, it could be even for good reason. Maybe that's so that might be something. true. Yeah, it probably is true. It's not to diminish that. The no, truth it's of not. That, or it's the experience not to of that. And I yeah. think we have to acknowledge that. And I never just say, well, how are you the source of it? Or give up being a victim because you have been victimized very often. So yeah. it's to feel that. It's to feel where it is in your body. But I always tell people, look, you have to look at your part of what happened. If you ever hope to love in a way that is free and liberated and happy, because on some level, until you look at your part of it, you will always know deep down inside that you're likely to do it again. And it's hard for us to see it because sometimes our part in how a dynamic happened is subtle. And I like to say, even if it was 97% the other person's fault, what's your 3%? And that 3% is likely I skipped over my own knowing. I minimized the red flags. I did not want to see what was before me, and so I got into the habit of lying to myself. I failed to make my feelings and needs known because I got into patterns of people-pleasing. I gave my power away because I didn't want to be too much trouble. All sorts of ways that we set ourselves up to be undermined in a relationship. We can see how those might track back to childhood yes and And I think this is an important point because I talk about this a lot I mean everyone knows I'm in 12-step recovery and this is a huge part of it is looking at our part but I think often misconception can be to attach blame to that and I think often it's through not no fault of our own because obviously we have been unconscious in that but I think until we become aware of it you know often there's no blame well it's very hard for people who are angry with themselves Mm. to not blame themselves at the end of a breakup. And so I always try and make people conscious of the question that you're asking yourself. And the the question that we normally ask when we go to self-reflect is, what is wrong with me? Some variation of that. Why can't I ever get this right? We'll very quickly come to some conclusion that we're damaged goods and that love is for other people and not for us. So it's a very disempowering, shame based questionnaire. Very shame based. Nothing's going to grow, nothing's going to develop. Shame stunts development. So you're not going to graduate from that inquiry. So I try and point people to questions like, you know, just even ask, how did I give my power away to that person? What was motivating me? to give my power away like that. Usually it's some kind of, I didn't think I deserved or I thought everybody always leaves me. So, you know, I had to people please in order to, and then you say, well, what's really true about that? Do I have the power to learn some new skills that would make it less likely that other people would up and leave? You know, how might I grow to improve this moving forward? So there's ways we can ask questions that are going to put power back into our own hands. And basically what we're looking for is what is the amends that you're going to make to yourself moving forward? How are you going to show up differently in every relationship moving forward? In this way, the breakup becomes a catalyst for your liberation and you can actually have a better relationship in the aftermath of this breakup. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe 
non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash motherkind. I love that. And we know, don't we, that if we don't do that, second marriages and third marriages are even more likely to fail. Yes. Well, I don't know what the statistics are in the UK, but I know in America about... Over 40% of first marriages fail, over 60% of second marriages fail, and over 70% of third marriages. And why do you think that is? I think, you know, if we have done it once before, we are more likely to do it again. We know that we won't die from the experience. And if we haven't learned from our first experience and really gotten those lessons and woken up out of the trance of those patterns and those unhealed wounds from childhood that we haven't resolved them and that they will show up again in our next relationship. You know, there's a quote that I have in the Conscious Uncoupling book that's, that's by Merritt Malloy, relationships that do not end peacefully do not end at all. So if we are not diligently doing our work to really come to a pace of peace with that ending, whether or not that person stays in our lives. I mean, we're talking to moms, so probably if there's a breakup, that person will stay in. But it's likely that some of the moms are already divorced and have a good relationship with their former husband, that they're going through a breakup, you know, with somebody else right now. But I think it's very important for us to know that we need to do the inner work. It's not time that's going to heal all of our wounds. It really is up to us. Time can diminish the acute agony that we're in, but to come really to a place where you've grown through the experience, where you've graduated from old patterns and you can trust yourself to do things differently moving forward, where there's no residue in the air between yourself and the other person that's going to get in the way of your children's happiness, where you have your happy post-divorce family, your happy even after family, that's going to take some effort. But the rewards are really, really rich and great. How would you define a successful relationship or marriage? And is it about this idea of growing and learning as a result of it? I think so. I think within yourself, growing and learning, having the humility to recognize that even if someone else did egregious things, that there was a way you were participating and setting yourself up to play out old patterns again. You know, in step three, we talk about healing core patterns from the past. We talk about the original break in your heart, which I call your source fracture wound, your source fracture story. And that's probably early childhood disappointments that had to do with the people that you loved and depended upon not showing up for you in certain ways. And of course, as young children, everything is about us. We don't have the capacity or the sophistication to say, oh, I see my mom's an alcoholic. And it's not that I'm not good enough or that I don't matter. It's that my mother needs AA. (laughs) No, we don't think like that when we're four. You know, we barely remember to think like that when we're 34. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, so to be able to look back at the meaning that we made as children and to see how that story has kind of covertly found its way into every relationship since. 
and to see even how we might have been behaving covertly in ways that pulled on the other person. So if we just stay with the I don't matter, one of the ways we create that pattern in our relationships as adults is that we then dismiss all our own feelings and needs and make the other person's feelings and needs matter more than our own. And then we train them their Which feelings is definition and needs. of codependency. Yes, it is. And then we train them that they matter. And then, you know, suddenly but we're internalizing, see, my feelings and needs don't matter to you. And we don't even see how we're the source of having created that. So, so when your heart is broken open from a breakup, this is an opportunity to do some house cleaning. Just on a really practical note, so you're a mom, you might have two children, you're going through a breakup, the extra sort of emotional and and life admin in a way that that comes with. How do you advise busy, time-poor mums to find the space to do this work? Because clearly we're not going on retreat for two weeks to do it. Is it finding a therapist and fitting the work in? Can you do this work by yourself with the book? Well, I have trained conscious uncoupling coaches and I have them here in the UK and I created a program where I invest a lot of my energy in training coaches of my work because for that very reason because I want people to have the kind of help that they need Mm. so it's helpful to have somebody to work with because you have accountability structures you can take a whole week to go through each step or you can take two weeks to go through each step but somebody's marking it with you somebody's holding it with you and I think just to have somebody there while you're going through that shattering overwhelming experience is really really important so it's an investment for people because someone who's a mother with two young children and they're having a breakup you're going from one home to two homes now money is very tight But if you really think about how much money goes out the window during a divorce on attorneys and can get really caught up, it's a very sensible investment because it's going to de-escalate a lot of the unfinished business, the tension of the unfinished business. It's going to get you back in your right mind. It's going to have you feel clear and supported so that you can do that divorce process much more elegantly. I know a lot of people get their emotions wrapped up in the money and there goes the children's college fund right out the window or there goes the house or and so it's a very very good investment actually to get yourself a coach and work that through and of course then we teach our children who are watching and absorbing how to deal with life's challenges in a different way absolutely that's a very astute thing you just said our children are watching us and if we give ourselves license to behave badly or to go through this crisis from the worst part of ourselves where we just the unconscious part the un- yeah well the, you know we will want to go to war if we have been really hurt we will either want to go to war or we will just want to go to bed for a year and beat ourselves <laughs> up and you know does it tend it to be that one of is it that polarized so and then maybe you feel both within an hour of waking up in the morning uh, yeah. you know you yeah. cycle through all of it i mean that's the intensity of grief And conscious uncoupling can't disappear the natural grief that we're going to feel when we So is it going to be painful, whatever happens? It's going to be painful. So what conscious uncoupling will make sure that it doesn't get destructive. Because nature has designed us to love. We're creatures. We love each other. What's the phrase that you talk about around suffering? You talk about... Well, there's effective suffering and ineffective suffering. suffering. Yeah. So the effective suffering is, yes, we will grieve. We will feel 
you know, we will go through those emotions, shock and anger and bargaining. Can I rescue this? Can I save this? Is he coming back? Could I go back? You know, then we will go through also depression, which is a, just like the coming to terms with the loss. Mm. And the goal of that process is to get to a place of acceptance where you finally just can let go and be okay with it. You might still feel bad that it happened, but you can live with it. It's integrated. You're not traumatized anymore. So we will all go through some variation of that, some cycling of that with all relationships, whether we're dating someone for six weeks or we're married to them for six years. We're going to go through some variation on that. However, if you have support going through that, you can get through that, you can learn through that and grow through that. And I think conscious uncoupling helps to shepherd that really well. Mm -hmm. Where we get off the rails and where we get really in over our heads is when we have ineffective suffering. And that's when we are making disempowered meaning of the breakup. So for example, see, I never mattered. Or see, I'll always be alone. Or see, every man will always leave Those shame-based questions we were talking about earlier. Those shame-based assessments, going back to the source fracture story, it will never work out for me. And then we really can get ourselves into a lot of trouble because it doesn't get resolved there. And so step three is all about getting us into empowered meaning. Like, what are you making the breakup mean about you? And what are you making the breakup mean about your ability to love and be loved in your future? And to challenge that meaning, because it's not actually true. And if you see certain core patterns that keep showing up again and again in your life, stay out of victimization with them. Don't be victimized by the patterns. You want to see yourself as the source of the pattern. You have the power to change that, but you have to become conscious and you have to start to make choices that are different choices. So all of this is, you know, conscious uncoupling has done a lot of the work for you. So this is a lot to sort out for someone who's just trying to find their way alone. So you see, I think when when we say we all start out wanting an amicable divorce, and even if we think we're going to have one, It's very hard. There's a lot of pitfalls to it. And so, you know, to learn these techniques of how you can stay on track and keep bringing yourself back, because it's not linear and no one does it perfectly. And it's only in steps four and five that we get to now you can deal with your partner, your soon to be partner. So tell us about four and five. Step four is starting out, it's called become a love alchemist. So it's like, how do we take all of this that we've been through and restore the family to a sense of containment and love so there's forgiveness exercises forgiving ourselves forgiving others they're setting an intention for the new future so we're not going to be a married couple any longer but we are going to be a post-divorce happy even after family where we are now great co-parents. Can you do that if only one of you is interested in doing that? You can do it not as elegantly as if both, but you can have a lot of sway. Usually there's a lot of leverage that we have to de-escalate people's anger. Mm. Um, I talk about that in the book, what we can do. I give a clearing the air exercise that is very much about helping people who are really struggling with a lot of anger and resentment to validate their experience, whether or not you agree with it, it doesn't matter. You might think that the person's crazy or overly sensitive or they're making this up and you never even said that. But when your eye is on the prize of having your family be well, 
then you just simply decide to care that that's the experience the other person is having. You don't have to agree. So you might validate that experience. So you're going to just validate. Oh my I can gosh. see you're really angry. I can see you're right, angry. Okay. Of course you're angry. I had no idea I was having that impact on you. I am just deeply grieved. And you let your heart be touched by it. And then you say, please tell me what I can do moving forward to make this better for you. You know, I can't undo the past and what's happened as a result. But I can try to be more respectful moving forward. So it's in that gesture of amends, you know, even the gesture of amends where you say, you know what, I really see what I did to you. And, you know, I wish I could make that better. But from now on, I will be more conscious. I will never hurt another person like this again. That you can rest assured. Because sometimes the consequences of something are too big. You can't put that back together again. I love that phrase of keeping your eye on the prize. Because I think it's so easy to get stuck in the... You know, someone sends you a read email, it's so easy, isn't it, just to fire back or, you know, as you say, through the legal process or start slinging mud with your family or his family or his friends or who were either side. It could be mm-hmm. her, her. Mm-hmm. I love that idea of what does success look like as a result of all of this? Is it that post-divorce family so that's and then what, acting so from that place? Yeah, it's a very big-hearted thing to do. Mm. It's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. I think for some of us, it's going to be the hardest thing we've ever done. Mm. But these are our children. And I think that's the task that we signed up for is to do our best. So that's step four. And also one of the things that I love about step four is I introduce the idea of generous gestures to repair some of the hurt feelings and as a form of amends. So to do your best to be extremely thoughtful and even generous. I'll give you an example. There was one gentleman who was very, very, very angry at his former wife and he had a new girlfriend already and, you know, was very misbehaving, always bad-mouthing her to their son and, you know, very unconscious, very narcissistic, very punitive and punishing towards her. So, you know, of course she's a very good mother and she's trying to get her child out of the center of it so one day when their son was going over to visit his dad and his girlfriend the son said that dad had said he was sick so she took the opportunity to call the girlfriend and give the girlfriend a soup recipe for a soup that he loved when he was sick because it made him feel better made him feel cared for so she did that not because she had to, but she was de-escalating the tensions. She thought, okay, I get to do this. you know, And it worked because he got a little softer. He was very touched that she thought to call his girlfriend and coach her on how to make this soup. And it began to de-escalate some of the tensions between them, and it got easier between her and her son. So those generous gestures are about investing in the family, the happy even after family that you're creating. And just like we know when we get married, we need to invest in the relationship. We need to date nights and little gifts and little notes. and you know, we're, Any we're, relationship, even friendships. Even friendships, yeah. you have to nurture those relationships. Yeah, they don't just happen. You're they? right. So we have to nurture this post-divorce relationship too. And before we go on to step five, which is the final step, I just want to ask you about marriage and what your view is on marriage. Should we... Still be getting married. Oh, that's a good UK question. Is less people are getting married now. Exactly. Yeah. Just it's actually same-sex marriages that are 
that grows, those are the ones that are rising. Are yeah. yeah, is that the, yeah, <laughs> the more traditional marriages are, are massively well, declining. I'm a pretty open-minded person, so I'm kind of fascinated by it. I mean, the happy ever after myth that we are all kind of under the umbrella of, mm. you know, in our expectations of what marriage is, it's 400 years old, which means that when it's created, the lifespan was less than 40. And people basically lived in one town their whole life with very few options for upward mobility or actually no options for upward mobility because that myth was created in Venice, Italy, when there was a law on the books that forbid a noble person to marry a commoner. So we have to understand that these things that we live with, like they're the Holy Grail, are actually just constructs of consciousness that came out of the life conditions of but the But that's day. In, in, you know, religious vows, isn't it? Till death do us part. Well, but that didn't start out like that. The Catholic Church brought those in, I think, in the 12th century because that was when they started to lose property and control of land because people would just separate. But they it didn't just start like that. Marriage didn't start. No. Wow. They didn't care about whether people got divorced or not until it began to impact their wealth and their control of property. So a lot of these things that we think are like, oh, it's akin to God and it's sacrilegious to think it's of divorce. It's bad to be divorced, you which have, is a cath- you know, strong yes, Catholic idea, isn't it? No, you just have to think more contextually. A lot of what we call reality are cultural constructs. It's like agreed upon reality of the time. So our life conditions are very, very, very different. The studies indicate that serial monogamy is now the new norm. And uh, much more so than people just having one true love and staying with that true love forever, as was true in that when the happily ever after myth came out. So we have to be creative about what's going to work. I mean, I'm pro-committed relationship and I'm pro-marriage even because I think it's a container for growth and mm. I think it creates a lot of safety. And sometimes people won't really grow until they have that really solid container of commitment that those vows represent. And so I actually like marriage as a construct. And yet, if a marriage does end, I want it to end in a way that's conscious and peaceful and going to set people up to have better relationships moving forward. So how would you define a successful marriage? Well, I like the new model of spiritual partnership that's emerging. I think Gary Zukav was the one that introduced that phrase. Yeah. And I love it. And I think, you know, growth partners, we're all really needing to grow right now. I think there's a revolution that's happening that's all about conscious evolution and that we're all really becoming much more self-aware, much more conscious of how we treat each other, much more conscious of our commitments and our agreements and how we're creating our lives. And that's a beautiful thing. So I think marriage needs to move from that role-based model into this more soulful union where you become growth partners and you're supporting each other to grow and develop. It's a much more complex marriage than our grandmothers had. Much more complex. And we don't have a lot of role models for it. So we're creating it as we go. And it's really pushing on all of us to grow. Who's your role models for marriage? Oh, well, I love Gay and Katie Hendricks. They wrote the book Conscious Loving. I really love how they do their relationship. They're very transparent with each other. They feed each other power. I also like Stan Tatkin a lot and his wife. They teach together. There's some really good teachers out there. Sue Johnson is wonderful. I love her work with emotional focused Mm -hmm. therapy. So there's a lot of good people out there. The first book I recommend to people to see a good marriage is Conscious Loving, which came out a couple of decades ago, but I think it still holds. 
Well, that's good. I'll put that in the show notes so that people can click okay. straight through. And then we're on to the final ah, stage. The final step. I okay, can't so forget the last. <laughs> creating your happy even after life. So I think we start with renegotiating the agreements of the relationship. We do that because studies show that unhappiness is very connected to what our expectations were. And when we have agreements, we form expectations. And when you're in a relationship long term, those expectations become covert. It's not like you're saying them out loud. But we have expectations that I'm the one you love or you'll always take care of me when I'm in trouble or sick. And then that person stops adhering to those expectations. And it can cause us quite a bit of unhappiness. So I think confused agreements and expectations are what causes a massive amount of suffering at the end of a relationship. So to take some time to write out all of the old agreements and to consciously say, I no longer expect to be the only person you love. And I now set you free to love another person. And my expectation is that you are our daughter's father and that you show up in a way that is honorable and loving and has integrity with our daughter and with me as your co-parent. That's what I expect, but you're free to love someone else mm. now. So just the act of making that conscious, it's a painful process to go through. But look, none of us are adverse to pain for good outcomes or none of us would have birthed babies through our, our vaginal canal. <laughs> you know, we know how to shepherd a little bit of pain we for, know how for to a lifetime pain. of joy. We know how to do pain, right? We do, we do. <laughs> you know, especially for good ends. So also being able to do a conscious uncoupling ritual is very helpful. And we have rituals. Alone or with your... Either way. Depends yeah. on what kind of breakup. Sometimes people don't want to do rituals because they're tender, the timing is off. But, you know, if you're going to really work at keeping your family together in this new form, a ritual can be as simple as having everyone over for... I was going to say Thanksgiving, but that's an American holiday. But whatever the equivalent in the UK would be, you have people come and, you know, have some kind of a celebration and you're both there and you can toast to your new happy even after family. I thank everyone for adjusting so beautifully and you can honor your former partner in front of everyone and honor your children for going with that transition and just say that you're more than grateful to be a part of this beautiful new form a family. So that would be a ritual, you know, because everybody's toasting and that's a ritual that we all know to do. So it doesn't have to be a big formal ritual, but there are conscious uncoupling rituals where people invite the people who are at their wedding to witness their uncoupling and where they very respectfully and lovingly take off their wedding rings. I've heard people doing this at the beach and then throwing them into the water. I mean, together, you know, all sorts of creative ways that we can do this in a way that just creates love you know, creates and ends a relationship with as much love as began it. So those tend to be very teary-eyed events. We are not used to seeing people love each other yeah. after they've been through disappointment We're used to the together. opposite, aren't we? We're we used to are. singing, right? And there will not be a dry eye in the house if you do something like that. But I will say, even though they're beautiful, we're not collectively quite there yet. So they tend to be more rare. But you can also do a conscious uncoupling ritual just in your own mind's eye. And in the book, I have a downloadable URL where people can actually download a ritual where I'm taking them through. That. Oh, like a guided meditation. A guided oh, meditation. lovely. Yeah, where I'm having them imagine that person and 
facilitating a dialogue with that person. I call it a soul-to-soul meditation. So what's next for you then professionally after this? You know, you've had this well, huge success with yeah. this concept and helped thousands. Oh, thank you. Well, what's I train coaches. I mean, actually what's coming up next is a Calling in the One coach training because I created Calling in the One also, and that book came out in 2004. So this is about of, meeting the one. Yes, and I think conscious uncoupling is the precursor to that, but it's uh, yeah. I wrote them in opposite. <laughs> because really, our next relationship will begin with how we end the relationship we're in. And we don't want to take baggage mm. into the next relationship. That's how to do it. So, so calling in the one is about manifesting love and the highest and the best love that's yeah. possible for you in this lifetime this is the commitment and could you call that conscious coupling it is conscious coupling because yeah. it's a lot of preparation mm. it's a lot of knowing your own belief structures and how you've been playing certain patterns out in relationships in the past so that you are free to do it differently moving forward it's also bringing in metaphysical principles of visioning and allowing that future that you're committed to creating to kind of pull you towards your own growth and development, like who would I need to be being in order to have that relationship. Mm. Becoming who we want to attract. Yes, becoming who we want to attract. So that's really rich work too. And so I have a coach training and that coming up this summer. And I always ask everyone the same question at the end of every interview, which is if you could gift all the mums in the world one thing, what would that be? Well, I think secure attachment with your child or your children so that you always are deeply, deeply connected and bonded with each other and setting that up in a way that will last your lifetime. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about then just tag them in on Instagram my bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there people often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends so if that's you then please do I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide so help me make that happen I'd be very grateful and also if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe and also just to let you know about my coaching so I do work one-on-one with mums on my program which is a three-month program called Reconnect to You so if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life then please do get in touch just drop me an email zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website www.motherkind.co that's it and i hope you have a wonderful rest of your day take care